Yeah, so I uh, I don't really have a plan. This is another one I didn't really prepare for because it's going to be kind of brief, and I figured we'd just kind of bullshit for a minute, give people a little bit of an idea of what's going on what's coming up. Sure. I'm interested to find out myself. Yeah. Me too. I'm kind of winging it as I go along. <laughs> Why have a plan? Why have a plan? Maybe speak into this new mic that Amber got me. Oh, it's the same mic. It's got a casing that kind of drowns out any background noises and, and acts as a pop filter. But I always forget that I need to be like right up on it. Oh, let, let's speak into this mic. Is that, <laughs> is that Ernest? Found him. It is. You hear that? <laughs> I heard it. I heard it. It recorded. <laughs> Don't want people to miss out on this gold. So yeah, I, I just uh, wanted to convene to kind of give people an explanation for what's going on with all the delays in the show and what I've got planned for the next couple of months. Um, and then I figured I'd invite Rick back on just because I always feel a little bit I don't know. I, I'm a little bit uncomfortable just talking by myself. I figure that it helps to have somebody else to bounce some things off of, and maybe we'll we'll just end up talking about whatever. But really, this is just a um, like kind of an excuse to to tell people that I have rejoined the workforce for better or worse, and uh, I am putting a lot of physical effort into working. The job isn't hard. I'm 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 biking there, and it's 12 miles every day. It's a new sleep schedule where I haven't had one for the last year and a half. It is standing on my feet and interacting with people and noise, which I haven't had to deal with for a year and a half. It is really taking its toll on me. I only worked for three days and then I, I, the, I had the weekend off and I slept for 14 hours that first day. I was like just exhausted. And so I haven't had either the time or really the energy to focus on the podcast as much as I should. I don't plan on stopping it. I don't. I, I hope to not have any real disruptions in the schedule, other than maybe, like this weekend. I'm I'm two days late right now on my episode, which I hope to get up tonight. But that that's kind of about it because I've got a big summer plan that I want to want to talk about as well. That was supposed to start today. It's going to kind of start next week. This is a sneak preview. I've already announced it on tw Twitter. People know about it, but it's going to be summer in the shadows. We're going to be doing uh, summer long. Uh, so the 22nd of June till what's the end of summer? It's mid September, early September. It's mid September, mid September. We're going to be doing film noir, uh, for that entire, that entire run. Um, I got some guests lined up. I've got some movies were picked out. It's still in the early stages of planning. We're kind of playing it by ear. Like I do everything else, but yeah, this summer we're going to be talking all about noir and I hope to keep that to a regular weekly schedule. I'm hoping to schedule a bunch of episodes this upcoming week and weekend so that I can just have them recorded and then uh, and then I don't have to worry about anything other than editing, which I mean, editing is the hardest part because recording is just we're talking about movies for two hours. So that's the fun part. But Rick, you're going to be here. You're going to be coming back at yep. least once for Noir. All, all everybody's old favorites. Uh, Carlos will be back. A couple of uh, guests that have only been on once before. Uh, Jessica is going to come back. We're talking about uh, something I'm really excited about. We're going to be doing uh, European sci-fi neo-noir. A pair of, <gasps> pair of uh, I think you might be able to guess one of them, I, I would assume. <clears throat> the 10th Victim? No. Oh. I'm not even sure I know that movie at all. 
Well, which ones are you talking about? Well, uh, okay. Well, I might as well announce it. What am I being coy about? We're going to be discussing Alphaville and that's what I could. Yeah. And uh, right. Element of Crime, Lars von Trier. Yeah. Well, they're both very good films. Yeah, uh, Lars von Trier before he kind of got stuck in that <laughs> that like let's let's he just yeah and and the whole uh, murderization of women uh, through just absolute sexual abuse and demean what, what's the word I'm looking for um, yeah anyway he's just made like a cycle of films that I I found have uh, diminishing returns. Although every once in a while he still does something I'm, I'm kind of happy with. I just think he's getting way too far up his own ass. Yeah, probably. Uh, have you seen The House That Jack Built? I have. That was a quite interesting film. Yeah. I would agree he was really up his ass there. But it still had some moments that were just like incredible. I, I agree. I, I agree. Yeah. I think, I think he's a director that every film he does, there's something in it I find incredible but I'm finding that I'm less and less interested in his subject matter. And his subject matter for the last like three films or so has been Lars von Trier. It's all been about his own filmography and his own uh, public perception and how he is, how he has built up this persona. Uh, and I, it's just, there's no change to it. It's just kind of like gazing in a reflection. It could be interesting if he if he continues to get more paranoid about himself. <laughs> there could be some interesting films coming out of it. So he won't be boring, that's for sure. He, well, yeah. Although sometimes I find his films do get a little bit <laughs> do get a little bit boring from moment to moment. I think they get a little bit dry. I think is the problem. Yeah. I uh, I am very excited because he's coming back with the third miniseries for the kingdom i had not heard oh yeah he had he had kind of written it off everybody had written it off because so many of the cast members had died i mean a lot of them were older um and it was like it, it was just like they were ready to do it and there wasn't a, there was a lack of interest from the network and Lars Boncher was busy doing other things so they never pursued it and uh so the show was never really canceled i guess it was a series of miniseries but then uh, nobody came back to do the third and final one. And in the meantime, a couple of the major actors have passed away. But he has announced that he's he's doing a brand new season uh, to wrap up everything that he can. I don't know who's left to be in the cast. He's also restoring, like they're going to be doing like a, a 2K or 4K restoration of the original miniseries, which it's shot on video. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> The graininess is part of the aesthetic. I don't know how making it look any better is going to actually improve the uh, prove that show, but I am a huge fan of Kingdom. I I'm okay on it. Uh, I've never. I know you love it, and I like it, but I've never fallen in love with it. And I think it's just because we're. It's because Montreal kind of has these dis distancing things that I sometimes I sometimes I fully buy into everything he's doing, like Melancholia. Other times, it's just like he kind of holds me back with his with his arm, and I think that's kind of the kingdom I've just never totally gotten into. The kingdom is just something I like watched a couple of times. I've just never fully just gotten into it, you know. Where I I, I enjoyed it some 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 bits of it more than others, but I always felt like he's kind of kept me at arm's length for some reason, and I don't know what it is. 
I, I can see that. The Kingdom was the first thing I ever saw from Lars von Trier. So in a way, that and Dancer in the Dark are the, the two introductory points. And they're kind of what I I hold up as like, that's kind of what just what I, I compare everything else to, even though I, I don't mean I compare them. I just mean that, that those are the those, those are the first two I saw. Those are still my two favorites. Um, yeah, Element of Crime was actually the first thing I saw of his. And that was a long time ago. Yeah, I, I got I got that sight unseen. I got the uh, Criterion DVD just because I I really like those others. And I've gone like he's got a lot of stuff I've never seen, but I I've gone a little deeper into the weeds. I, I've seen like have you seen that documentary, The Five Obstructions? Uh, I have not seen that. No. He gets his like a mentor, somebody he is this filmmaker he idolizes who. Um, I can't remember the name of the short that he did in the 60s or 70s. It's like man shaving number or something or other. And it, it's kind of a major work can, for him, I guess. And Lars von Trier really idolizes the man. And he, they set this documentary where he sets... Um, Jürgen Leth. Yeah, Jürgen Leth. Uh, he sets the director to remake the film five times, each time with a different like rule a different like one time it has to be animated which is a format that Jürgen Leth apparently hates so it, it is it is very much an insight into Lars Montreux because he is just sitting there torturing somebody for the the documentary like he's just doing it because it's it, he knows the other person's going to hate it and he's finding it hilarious like there's an interesting sci like kind of sci-fi film called Epidemic about he and another guy writing a screenplay about the end of the world while the world starts ending around them and they're kind of oblivious to it for a while. That's that's kind of in his Dogme 95 phase, I think, where there, there's not not anything other than just what's on, like what they can show on the camera. There's no effects, there's no non-diegetic sounds or anything like that. Yeah, he's a director that I, I, I was really into for a while and then very quickly stopped being into but i'll still check him out i'll still check out whatever he puts out do you think it steams him at all that his old dogman 95 partner thomas vinterberg won won an oscar this year well i don't know because he he seems to like he does seem to be somebody who holds grudges and has <laughs> uh is a fairly petty but he, he also like he helped develop dogman 95's rules like that manifesto of what makes a dog me 95 film and then immediately after it the movie he makes is a musical dancer in the dark where he's got non-diegetic music and a ton of camera setups and a lot of artificiality in that film even though it is and he would probably say rules are made to be broken so yeah yeah <laughs> um he is a provocateur as, as the kids online sometimes like to call an edgelord these days but um they call him a what edgelord Jesus Christ. So yeah, it's an internet <laughs> term. Just somebody trying to be super edgy. Trying to be an edgelord. Yeah. And succeeded. Enough about Lars von Trier. I am very much looking forward to this summer and kind of exploring noir. There's too much. I'm not going to be able to get to everything, uh, every little subgenre, but I'm, I'm hoping to do like, like Western noir, neo-noir we're doing a little bit, sci-fi, of course, comedy noir, classical noir. I know, I think Carlos wants to do a couple of Nicholas Ray films, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. I, I've seen one of them, I know. The other one he's suggested I have not seen. I think it's On Deadly Ground, and I can't remember what the other one was. And of course, you want to do uh, Gun Crazy and This Gun for Hire. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And I want to do more 
kind of overseas noir, like some there's some good British noir titles. Although a lot of the British noir I've seen kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of British noir I've seen that, that gets labeled British noir that's in the, like sets labeled British noir. And I, I kind of don't see it, but it is all in the eye of the beholder. Noir is such a, an amorphous term that Sometimes people just throw it on a regular crime film and it's like, no, that's not, that's, you know, not all crime films are noir, you know, but sometimes people throw it on anything. So, and of course I should mention, we're doing this here. It is somewhat inspired by TCM's summer in the, in uh, summer in the darkness from like four or five, six years ago. Now they did a summer of noir programming. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I'm clearly stealing the idea. Uh, I figured I'd change the name just a little bit. They probably weren't the first ones to come up with it either. So no, no, no. So yeah, any any films that you're hoping to see discussed? Anything that you would like to talk about beyond the two that you have? Well, the two that I want to talk about, yeah, <laughs> I want to, I want to talk about them because I want to make sure they get talked about because I just love those two films. Um, but yeah, I uh, hadn't really thought that far. Maybe DOA would be a cool one. That could be good. Yeah, I I mean. It's going to be a long summer. You might come back for a second one if you want to. I know we're both going to be busy. Uh, hopefully, we'll get into a kind of a rhythm with our our work schedules. And hey, maybe we'll maybe we'll do some little roundup stuff like we've done in the past with Carlos or just you and me or you all three of us or however that works. Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. So now I've got you here. What have you been up to? What are you? I mean, you're working a lot, but what have you been? Uh, I, I got your... to tell you, I've been working way more than I thought I'd be working. So. Uh, I got right back into the mix where I was six years ago with these people. So uh, um, I was, and but the nice thing this time is I get to do it at home. So it's my hours and I just work whenever I want to. And sometimes it's all day, but um, I've still been able to like watch a bunch of movies, you know, because, you know, I'm at home and I can just stop anytime I want to and throw on half an hour of a film and then get up later. So uh, I've been, Go ahead. I was saying I'm super jealous of of that. Just well, I don't have kids, so yeah, yeah. I I don't yeah. I don't actually really mind working. I, I I do. Work sucks. It's like nobody wants to work. Um, well, I, I'm not. It's a fine job, but man, I, I and I just hate being out of the house for so long. I I hate that now. Like ten hours of the day, I'm not here. You know the commute there and commute back in the job um no less than 10 it's nine hours I, I it only takes me about half an hour but like it's just still so much time not here with the kids and the family and you know i haven't watched anything in over a week really a couple of television episodes here and there but nothing uh no movies yeah and uh it's just i don't know it's work I've been home for a year and a half. I got too used to it. I know. Yeah, you get really used to it. And I, that, that, I think I got lucky in that I was able to find something where I can work at home. Otherwise, I was waiting to go back to my old job. And as soon as it opened up again. Uh, but yeah, I, I did get lucky. And I would not. I mean, I, I don't know how I would react having to go. I don't know how I will react once I actually have to go physically to a job again. So yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Well, I tell you, I am I am reacting with full body aches <laughs> and <laughs> a, a low 
just kind of a low depression yeah at all times and i, I totally I am actually viewing the bike ride as the big plus of this because it's, I enjoy biking. I enjoy getting out there and I'm feeling like, oh man, I'm, I'm getting better. But yeah, my knees are really. How long has it been since you've ridden a bike? Um, at probably about a decade. I think it was probably 2020, for, uh, 2000, I think the year 2000 probably for me. Cause yeah. that's when my last stolen. So Amber, Amber had a bike that got stolen in probably like 2010 ish maybe 2008 2010 and we we never had a bike after that and i would use that sometimes but um, no when when we first started dating we would bike to work we we worked we lived in midtown and we worked in the diamond center and we would bike to and from and we would make it so we requested our schedules were the same so we could bike together as much as possible and I've really missed it. Like I, I really have missed biking. It's just fun to get out. Um, it's a little nerve wracking here, but I, I, I set my GPS so I never take the main roads or as little as possible anyway. I think that's the main reason I haven't gotten the bike because I, because you know, well, both you and I are from Anchorage, Alaska and all the bike trails there. So nobody rides on the street there everybody rides on sidewalks because all the sidewalks turn into bike trails and all the bike trails turn into sidewalks so you're not supposed to technically ride on sidewalks but everybody does yeah because it's a different type of city and so i've never never with very rare exceptions uh actually ridden on a street and yeah. uh, on, on like a like a you know a, 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 a like a non-residential street and um it's yeah, I don't know if I could do that here. I, I just, to me, it would be just nerve wracking because I see how people drive. I, I think I'm just better off walking everywhere. So yeah, there's um, there's bike trails or bike, bike, uh, bike lanes. Bike lanes, yeah. In in most of the major streets around where I'm at, and I I ride on those every when I have to. I will ride on the sidewalk, even though you're not supposed to. But if I see people ahead of me, I'll get into the street. I I'm. I don't try and thread through people. I yeah, try to be I probably conscientious, but but I will be on the sidewalk if there's nobody around because I I don't like being on the street either. I I gotta tell you, my last bike, I think it was about 1999, 2000, and something. It was around the time that I met Jen. But I had this really great bicycle that uh, one of my friends uh, gave me because he couldn't use it anymore, and it was a really nice bike, and so he just gave it to me, and I thought, oh, that's great. And uh, we were uh, doing the Renaissance Fair, and I had it in the back of somebody's pickup with a shell on it because we were performing at the Renaissance Fair. And so I just had left it in the parking lot, in the, in the performer's parking lot, and uh, but with a shell on on you know over it, so you, you couldn't really see it unless you were really looking into you know in, into the into the into the truck. And end of the day went out. My bike had been stolen from the back of the truck. And so I was, are you kidding me? Never thought I'd see it again. So I'm riding bikes with the friend that gave me that bike. Um, he had other, he had another bike that he loaned me. And so he and I are out riding one day and we're going past the cattle company restaurant. And we see a bike that looks just like the bike that got stolen. And we go up to it and, you know, he had the serial numbers in his wallet. And we checked the serial numbers that were like etched into the bike and stuff. And uh, 
it was my bike. Oh, wow. And so we waited outside the restaurant until the people, and mind you, the bike's sitting outside the restaurant attached to like a, a carrier for like a little kid, right? So we wait until the family comes out of the restaurant and said, this is my bike and we're going to call the cop, you know, and we, and we talk and he, and we explained to him the situation and he goes, well, I just bought it off some guy and he's, I didn't know it was stolen, blah, blah, blah. And he actually gave me the bike back. Cut to a week later, I go up to the record store. I chain my bike up outside the record store i'm in there for like an hour i come out and my bike has been stolen again and that's the last i saw like all the space this is all the space of a couple weeks yeah i think every bike i've ever had in alaska has been stolen and i don't think it's just alaska i think it's everywhere yeah i remember in high junior high i think i was using my aunt's bike she had moved away and it was and left it there or was going to, she didn't use it anymore. I, I, she hadn't moved away yet, but um, I was using it and I left it outside the diamond center and it got stolen. And then I remember a couple of weeks later, I saw somebody riding the same bike and chased them for so long, yelling at them like, stop, stop. <laughs> and like, they just like terrified running away from it, riding away from me. I never caught up to them, but it, it, it we're pretty sure that wasn't the bike. I think I might've actually followed them and they went home and checked. I can't, it, it was so long ago, but it, we're pretty sure it wasn't the bike, but it was still like, I chased him. And yeah, the one last one we had, the last bike that I had or Amber had, we left it outside our, our door in our backyard behind wooden fences. I'd even taken the seat and one of the tires off because they were quick, quick release, but I'd left the bike out and they, they took that. And so it was like for a while we had a seat and a tire. But this is Midtown. This area is like, if you yeah, leave it, I remember where you lived, yeah. That place I lived, if you left anything out, it was gone. Like, it didn't matter what it was. Every, I, I lived there for... That was off Fireweed, right? Yeah, it was off Fireweed. That yeah. area. That area, yeah. Um, I remember I, I lived there for, what, 2004? About 10 years, 10 years exactly. And... Anytime I left a car door unlocked, I would come out in the morning and the doors would be open and the car would be rifled through. But anytime I kept the doors locked, nobody ever tried to break, like no windows were broken. Nothing was ever taken. Like even if I left something that you might be able to get money from outside. I remember I came, came out and they had, they had left my CD player and the couple of dollars in the ashtray but they had like rifled through a bat, my gym bag in the back and taken my socks. And that was it. And it's winter. <laughs> and you're homeless. That's what, you know? Yeah. That's what you need. Yeah. So I'm not, I, I don't, they, they were very conscientious thieves in a way. Like they would always like, we'd find people in our backyards a lot, but they would never like steal anything unless we had left, like just left it out there. Not that I'm victim blaming and saying it's people's fault. If they leave things out, I just, we knew what we had to do to keep our stuff safe there. So yeah, uh, I guess I've got to keep to a schedule today. It's my last day off for the next week. So I have to have a lot of stuff I have to do. I'm going to do a lot of meal prep so I don't have to worry about meals the rest of this week. So this was kind of a brief little chat. Maybe we'll do more of these in the future. So this is going to be coming out this upcoming Friday in place of a regular show, but do not worry. 
if all is going to plan, there will be episodes to come for the next couple of weeks that we'll be talking all about noir. And um, thank you everybody for putting up with it. And uh, if you're enjoying the show, of course, just drop me a line. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Two Headed Pod. Um, always happy to hear from people. You have anything you want to say before we take off? Uh, no, just uh, we'll see you. See you this summer. Okay, uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. I'm a little bit worried about this upcoming Sandman, but you know, I, I we'll see. Maybe that'll be the one that they allow to get a little bit darker. Well, you know, that's the thing with Sweet Tooth, uh, which I did. Re I watched my review and I really enjoyed, but I hadn't read the comic book. Um, yeah, most of the most of the violence is implied, and I mean, even an implication, some of it's really bad. Like the whole thing. I've only seen the first two episodes. Yeah, there's there's a thing with Saran wrap <laughs> that's really okay. horrifying that happens later. Uh, but yeah, you don't see like actual blood or gore or anything like that. And, and I mean, it's Jim Mickle, who, I mean, even when he in Stakeland, he uh, he made a movie that's completely horrifying about vampires, and there really isn't that much gore. Most of it's in, like with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Most of it's in your mind with sound and implication. And, and I think that's kind of his style, if just, you know, for lack of a better word, it's kind of the way he handles violence. It is, but then you get, you got things like the second episode of Sweet Tooth has people killed with bear traps to the head and there's no blood in that episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it, I didn't mind it. I thought it was fine, especially since I'm watching it with my, um, well, my older daughter and my older daughter is old enough now that I don't worry about restrictions like that. She's a teenager. Like she's at the age where I, I trust that she's able to process this th sort of thing. And I'm not going to yeah. censor what she's watching, but um, it, it does, it, it does make it feel a little bit more like kind of a, a, a something we can watch with the family, maybe not young kids, but still. Um, so I didn't mind it. I still thought it was enjoyable. I got the idea of what was going on. It is just kind of strange to think like, huh, I hear this is kind of a mature audience's comic book and this is really now something for, for young teenagers. And I used to say it, it, it maybe isn't the same these days, but like in the early 2000s, CBS made a whole, like that, that's their brand, right? Is that they marketed horrific violence, some of the most re, like reactionary, uh, like prurient stuff I've seen on network television. You watch a show like Criminal Minds or those CSIs sometimes, and it's just like, it, it, they're, they're, the stuff that's in it is like often surprisingly violent and sexual, considering that it, it, CBS has a viewership that skews older, white, and religious. And mm -hmm. that always struck me as odd until I realized you watch some of those shows and the end of the end message is enforcing a you know organized religious view of the world that anybody who doesn't go to church or or anybody who is a little bit um, left of center of what what church the church has considered should be center then those people are serial killers and rapists and the worst scum yeah. of the earth yeah so, and, and that's 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 you know very telling in that um 
that the message can be skewed that way as well. There's, um, there was a, you know, that show highway to heaven. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well it, my grandma when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Well, that's the thing is that, that one, I think there was a, a, an episode where someone just whips out like an automatic weapon and starts shooting everybody. <laughs> and I was just, it was the violence in it was actually quite shocking because, you know, normally that's not really what happened. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they used it to serve the, you know, the very religion centered, religion, religion centered message that they were trying to, to put out there you know, ooh, these people are dangerous. You never know when they might shoot you. Well, that's why I think this, this idea that it has to reinforce their values to be allowed. Like the exorcist, there's, there is stuff in the exorcist. I mean, Reagan and the, that cross when she's like, they, you know, she's an underage child. How old is Reagan in that movie? 12? Uh, let me look it up. Well, that's the thing is, you know, uh, one thing I will give The Exorcist is that uh, Friedkin's artistry in that, you know, and I believe that both uh, Friedkin and Blatty are true believers, you know, and of course, once again, they're products of their time. But I think that there's also, you know, it it's their belief about the church and faith. You know, I think it's actually stronger, a stronger message on faith than it is conventional like Catholic religion. Uh, because, you know, at the end, you know, both, two priests die for the girl, you know, you know, first, you know, Father Merrick from a heart attack, but then um, Jason Miller's character, uh, just basically says, take me. He sacrifices himself to save her and then commits basically what's the worst sin in the Catholic religion that's definitely sending you straight to hell uh, to make sure that no one else is hurt by this demon. I disagree slightly there. Like it, it reinforces a true belief in faith for me, and maybe it's just my Catholic upbringing, but I don't think, I even in the film, the, they have a tussle trying to convince like the, the parish and, you know, the, you know, the people in charge in, um, the religious leaders in charge that she's even possessed in the first place. They don't even want to have any part of it. They're just kind of like, yeah, sure. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that <laughs> yet at first. It takes them a while to actually convince them. Yes, she actually is possessed and we need to do um, an exorcism. That's why it takes so long to get to that point. And you know, they go through all the conventional treatments and all that. So I, I disagree slightly with, I don't think that it's really on the side of the Catholic church per se, as much as it is the individual with faith because well, the, the, that father, his journey is kind of like from, it starts from, and I hate that I said journey, but it's kind of like his character arc is that he doesn't believe anymore. 
and through the experience, losing his, his mother, you know, confronting the demon, dealing with, Re with Reagan, um, he, he comes to believe again. Not necessarily in Roman Catholicism, but in the power of God. Well, that, that's, that's what I would like, I'm kind of trying to say, maybe you, you had a little bit new, more nuance in it, but I would say in The Exorcist, the stuff that Reagan does, like the, the things that they have this 12-year-old doing and saying, mm -hmm. I think are more shocking than some of the stuff that got cut out of The Devils. Certainly more shocking than a lot of the stuff that's in the theatrical version that got released. Mm -hmm. The difference is at the end of The Exorcist, people can be comforted that their faith is enough to protect them, right? Exactly. At the end of The Devils, there is no comfort. <laughs> like the, the, the end of The Devils is literally just like, no, the church is just lying to manipulate you and, and they're doing horrible, horrible things to you. Um, and if you step it out of line, they're going to kill you. Yeah, so I, I think, I think religious people, and this is a point the movie is making, is that religious people can stomach an awful lot of horrible things as long as it reinforces their beliefs and their faith. I see what you mean. No, and and I I can see what you mean. I think I diff I still differ slightly in that I don't think that. Well, you know it's hard to say because Blatty was very religious, and I know Friedkin is also really like truly a man of faith. Um, he he really believes in it. Yeah. And I'm not going to say that that's bad. I mean, you know, if people have faith, I have, you know, the true believers, I have, I have respect for them as, you know, a person who's an atheist slash non-theistic Satanist. If, if there's a true belief there, I can respect that. I'm not going to rain all over their parade because they believe it. I mean, who knows? Maybe they're right. I don't know. I'm not, and I'm not going to know until I'm dead. <laughs> Maybe. So but, you know, in maybe I, I tend to think it's faith that they're reaffirming, but I can also see how it would be seen as something that reaffirms the, the church itself. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I, yeah. I, and I, I, I'm going to bring this up. Um, the Devils was made in 1971 and The Exorcist was made in 1973. So in my little, in my fevered little mind, I can't help but think that maybe some of the truly transgressive stuff that's in there might have been somewhat influenced by the devils. Maybe it's just me. No, maybe you might. You, I'm, I'm sure you're right. I mean, I think the devils is a movie that, uh, that would have been appreciated by a freaking. Yeah. I'm, I honestly am kind of, I'm kind of curious <laughs> like, to see what he thought of it, but I don't think he's ever talked about it. But I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen his films, uh, his some of his later period films, because he, he kind of had kind of a, a more placid period after it. But, you know, he went, he like stuff like Killer Joe, which is one of my, fa a favorite of, of his films of mine, and uh, Bug. Bug Holy cow. Holy cow. Yeah, Bug is good. No, Bug Bug is Bug is incredible. And um Killer Joe to me. Oh my god. 
I, first of all, I love it. And second of all, I know I shouldn't because of some of the thematic elements, but it's so well done and it's just so brutal. And that's one of the things I think Friedkin is great at. You know, I've been rewatching Jade lately because it's on Amazon. And you know what? I, I it's not it's not a bad film. <laughs> it's um, it's an yeah. Esther House script, so it's got that whole Esther House '90s, you know, basic instinct thing going on, and some of it's, you know, like David Caruso pretending to be careening down the streets of San Francisco is a little less believable than it could be, but it's actually also kind of like a transgressive thing. Yeah, it's, I haven't. It's I haven't I haven't seen that one, but I, <laughs> I, I think I've heard that, that it, yeah, I think what I've heard kind of jibes with it, what you're saying. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of fun. It's a little, it's, it's more Friedkin than, you know, Ver, Verhoeven style is also for a lar large part, and, and I hate having to use this, this word so much, transgressive, and you, there's a lot of like sexuality and and stuff that people would consider weird in regards to sexuality I, in I Basic Instinct and Showgirls. But yeah, I, and you know, it, it's, I think it's an interesting watch. I like it. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a watch. I, to, we, we gotta get back to the movie, but I just wanna say about- I'm so sorry. No, you're fine, yeah. you're fine. This is great, this is great. I'm just saying, um, I wanna talk about Verhoeven for a minute because I think, what's great about him when he's firing on all cylinders with his American movies is mm -hmm. that he is kind of putting stuff in there and saying like, what do you, what do you mean? I thought this is what you liked. <laughs> like, isn't this yeah. what you like in an action movie, but he's also putting enough reality into it where it's like, no, this is what it would be really like. It wouldn't be as uh, it wouldn't be as just like bloodless and fun as what you're seeing in these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, it would be kind, yeah. of, kind of, well, even though he worked with Schwarzenegger, it would be kind of gross and, and strange and unpleasant. <laughs> and scary. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, there's another, you know, there's another filmmaker because he's, he's capable of doing like really brutal fantasy, like, you know, Starship Troopers, but also something that's much more, um, conventional like L, but just also spectacularly uh, something that makes the, the audience spectacularly uncomfortable. But I think in a way he also has kind of a similarity to what I understand about Michael Heineke's work because people hate him as well. <laughs> and, and I like he, what I've seen of Heineke. Although and, I will say I, I disliked uh, Funny Games, but not not because I found it like, not because I was offended by it, but I, I felt like he was scolding me and I didn't appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you this now. Um, yeah, well, you know, it, it's so, you, they're, they're these stylists who, you know, so it's, you know, and, and it, there's just so many uh, great filmmakers who, you know, realize the power of the, of the you know showing using violence and and sexuality to like really upend 
uh, the audience's expectations and make them, you know, kind of burst the bubble and make them think in different ways. Um, so back to uh, the devils. Uh, 